Today we're talking about a Regency rom-com for modern audiences, Mr Malcolm's List. Here's star Zoe Ashton. It's not just about suddenly just putting people in movies. It's about allowing them to carry the romance, allowing them to carry the emotion, allowing them to carry the villainy, allowing them to carry the humour. So yeah, lots to be joyful and light about because this is a light movie. But there's also a lot to talk about in terms of um, a movement becoming real progress. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm going to get that gun of mine, and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? Hello and welcome to Girls on Film. I'm your host, Anna Smith. And today we're looking at Mr. Malcolm's List, a Regency costume drama and rom-com directed by Emma Holly-Jones and with a diverse cast including Zoe Ashton and Frida Pinto. Zoe plays Julia, a wealthy lady who feels snubbed by Mr. Malcolm, who's played by Shopee Dirisu. Discovering that Mr. Malcolm has a list of qualities for the perfect bride, she enlists her friend Selina, who's played by Frida Pinto, to pose as his ideal woman. Naturally, romantic complications ensue. My dearest Selina, will you come visit me in London? I promise you will be well entertained. I need your assistance. There is a gentleman, Mr. Malcolm. He humiliated me. No. I then found out he had a list. You have a list of qualifications for a bride. I would love for Mr. Malcolm to receive the comeuppance he deserves. Plus, it could be rather fun. If we present you as the perfect woman, then he discovers he does not meet the requirements on your list. That would be a perfect sort of poetic justice. Emma, welcome to Girls on Film. Hi there, how are you doing? Very well. It's great to have you with us. Congratulations on Mr. Malcolm's list. And before we get into that, can you tell the listeners a bit about yourself and your background as a filmmaker? So I'm from England, obviously. Uh, hopefully I still have my accent intact but um, you do I do good news good news but I've been living and working in Los Angeles for the last 12 years and my background really was in very low budget documentary short films um things like that and I you know really was like a hustling young filmmaker for over a decade trying to get anybody who was willing to hire me to hire me and You know, about seven years ago, I sort of actually, I think I'd say I got a little bit fed up of trying to compete in the commercial world against all these very established, you know, men. And I kind of had this brainwave, which was like, I'm going to stop trying to be cool like the boys and I'm going to focus on something that's purely me. And I started looking for very much what I was looking for was like a 90s, you know, Richard Curtis-esque, Nora Ephron uh, rom-com. And I found the script for Mr. Malcolm's List on the Blacklist uh, Table Reads podcast and then went about securing funding for a short film, which we shot in 2018, which started this whole journey. Fantastic. And you're right. It does have that kind of feel-good flavour about it that makes it such a pleasure. What made you passionate about telling this story specifically, other than the sort of vibe that you've set up there? You know what? I don't think it was like anything particular about the story. It really was a tone. Mm. You know, I think people assume I'm a bit of a Regency nut, (laughs) but I'm not 
at all. I love period drama, I love romantic comedy, and I felt what I found was a kind of mashup between the two. And these wonderful sort of early renderings of really funny characters that were going to be, I thought, a lot of fun to develop and to put to screen. Mr. Malcolm, there's someone I want to introduce you to, Miss Selina Dalton. I'm very pleased to make your acquaintance. Perhaps you might join me for a tour of the picture gallery. Most certainly have a reputation. Is that the famous Mr. Malcolm? Do you know him? And do you believe this description of me? He was very impressed by her wit and humor. I must be nearsighted. May I assist? Selina, it is working. Why did you come to London, Miss Dalton? Because I was lonely. I was lonely too before you came. Your list is a shield. You do not want to give your heart to a woman unworthy. It gives us hope, and hope is a good thing. Perhaps I am mistaken in thinking hope a useless thing. You're being blinded by his intelligent conversation and devastatingly handsome good looks. The original script was based on an unpublished novel from 20 years ago. So for me personally, I felt when I came out the other side of the short that I really needed to make these girls more relatable for an audience for 2022, as well as, you know, sort of bringing my sense of humour to the piece to kind of basically create something feel good that really harked back to the tone of those old great romantic comedies. Can you talk to me about the central cast? Because they're absolutely brilliant and very distinctive and let's face it, not what a lot of people would expect of a period drama. Yeah, I mean, obviously they're all absolutely incredible. But for me, it was very much when I initially heard, it's so funny, I heard a script on a podcast. I didn't read the script for the first time. But when I heard that script, I actually saw Hamilton the same week. And when I came out of Hamilton, I think it just totally challenged for me as a young artist that grew up in England where you can't avoid the period drama. It hits you in the face on the BBC on a weekly basis. And it really challenged for me the thought process of when did I actually think that, and I'm, you know, I'm going to be very general with my terminology, that like immigration into the UK started. And I couldn't answer that question. No one had spoke about it in my school education. And it really didn't take more than a couple minutes on Google to realise that England was actually a lot more diverse than any Hollywood movie has ever portrayed it. And that was it. It was from day one, Mr. Malcolm's List was going to be done in the style of Hamilton. Then my casting director, who is a dear, dear friend called Tamara Lee Notcutt, was someone I'd always wanted to work with and I called Tamara and Tamara is a black British woman and she was like, I'm 100% in. And she started, you know, obviously we started with the short film, but she started putting me in front of these absolutely incredible actors, all types of people. And I think then what you end up getting is really the best people for the job who were bringing this just absolutely wonderfully fresh exciting energy the main cast Frida Chopin and Zowie specifically they just inject this absolute life into something you know into a formula we've seen many many times before you're right it does make you as a viewer kind of challenge your preconceptions and challenge what you've accepted before which feels really important but also in such an accessible fun format Oh, you made it! Oh, 
Keep the plug yourself. I'm so glad you're here. You must be parched. Come inside. John, put Selena's bags in her room immediately. My dear cousin, Lord Cassidy, is dying to meet you. Does Bridgerton ever cross your mind in these discussions? No, totally honestly, not at all. I, I was doing this two years before Bridgerton. You know, the Bridgerton of it all for me, I think I've kind of gone full circle on it. When it got announced, obviously I was a bit frightened because I thought, oh God, it's the same 10-year period. Um, obviously in terms of the casting, good, more films should be doing it. And Bridgerton wasn't the first and I wasn't the first. There was... Amarasante's Bell that comes to mind or Inucci's, you know, David Copperfield. So it's not just Bridgerton and us. Um, but obviously that's Netflix and we're a small independent film. So they got their show together a lot quicker than we got our feature together. But I think it can only be a good thing. And I hope that there is many more, you know, period films from all around the world and all different times that are more inclusive and look like the world we live in today. Totally agree and well said. Um, are there any particular lines of dialogue, particularly perhaps looking from a gender perspective, because I really do like uh, the gender dynamic in this film, um, any particular scenes or, or lines that stand out in your mind that you have very happy memories of? It really was a collaborative process. I really let the actors improv. We had this amazing rehearsal week in the week before we shot because we were all in COVID bubbles and things like that. So we were in this... Uh, BMW car garage were socially distanced and we had a full rehearsal week where the actors really could find their chemistry and um, really bring the material to life and as a director I was really open to changing speeches or adjusting dialogue or adding jokes and when you're working with someone like Zowie Ashton who's a comical genius you know you're going to let those lines come in but I think um, talking about the gender dynamic really making sure that Julia and Selena um weren't just women looking for men you know in the marriage mart of 1818 that that the friendship between the two of them was at the forefront of the story as much as the romance stories and the scene where they reconcile a lot of the dialogue in that came from Zowie and Frida writing letters to each other as the characters to develop their backstory you know, they handed me these letters and they shared this material with me and then I sort of converted it into period language. But Julia's speech, um, you know, when she's standing in the window, that that really, I think, made the movie a thousand times better. So that scene particularly always stands out to me. And when Selena says, you know, without your scheme, I never would have realised what it feels like to fall in love. Had it not been for your, for your scheme... I would have never experienced what it feels like to fall in love. That was all Frida. And that alone makes me very content. So those are lines particularly that mean a lot to me because I feel like you get an emotional payoff between the two women just as much as you do with the big ending. You're a fan of rom-coms. Um, it is sad how many of them pit women against each other to the bitter end. And it's not about the female friendship. And I love that kind of, as you say, that, you know, without giving too much away, the sort of reconciliation and also the honesty with which your female characters have the ability to recognise their flaws and learn from them rather than just being the good girl, or the bad girl or the mean girl, you know? Exactly. And also they don't necessarily become, you know, I don't think in life as we can all identify at a certain point, a certain flaw or a certain 
thing maybe we could have done better but it doesn't mean suddenly then we become a perfect person we're still flawed beings you know we're wonderfully complex and I love that about these two characters and also I think on the page Selena is that sort of heroine that you see in every you know she's the romantic lead but me and Frida spoke a lot about how like you know she takes part in a scheme not because she's forced to because she chooses to and what that means like she's also taking her opportunity she's been living in the countryside you know getting proposed to by 70 year old men she's never been to a proper party she's never you know got to meet people of her own age so as much as she knows that the scheme is fundamentally wrong she also embarks on it for her own selfish reasons and that was really important to me as well because it's her first shot at a real life and I think all women should be taking every shot and opportunity they get, whether it's in 1818 or 2022. She's definitely got more agency than some of those kind of poor manipulated Austin heroines, you know, however well-written they were. I think she's more relatable for our modern-day viewers, I hope. I hope so too. Are there any other parts of the film that you wanted to highlight, particularly from a feminist perspective? Yeah, actually, there's one thing I can talk about, which was obviously a lot of people talk to me about historical accuracy, which I find the most annoying thing to be asked about because I'm like it is a movie and when building this world and when anyone makes a movie whether it's set in space or set in the past or set in the present it is all a fantasy to a degree you know otherwise we should be watching documentaries but I think in terms of feminism and gender I realized on this process when I was building this world that I could sort of rebel against certain historical accuracies, in fact. And I could start making my own rules for this world because truthfully, why the hell not? So, for example, we had this incredible historical consultant on set who was so supportive of my direction. But what she did was wonderfully always give me her knowledge from the history and then I could make choices within that space. So, for example, when I said, oh, I want to do a scene in a horse auction, I just had been looking through regency activities and reading this wonderful book on societal sort of entertainment and I was like oh horse auction sounds so much fun and everyone was like well women weren't allowed to go to horse auctions in 1818 and I was like well in my film and in my world they are and they're allowed to be out with the boys unchaperoned and they're allowed to play croquet and they're allowed to get stuck in the world they live in so that was sort of my way of, of one, modernising the world, but maybe making it a bit more equal because I can. What should have been, not what necessarily was. Exactly. Um, finally, I just wanted to ask you a question based on what you've told me today, because I am dying to know what your favourite romantic comedies are. So 100% number one has been for years, but Notting Hill. It just, you know, it's the film I time and time again watch and also then when Harry met Sally those two are I think the ones that I have revisited time and time again and I you know I really believe the rom-com has sort of died a little bit and you know I have a theory of why that is and I am going to try very hard with and I did with Malcolm's and you know maybe in the future we're trying to bring it back a little bit to something that feels a bit more timeless and feels a bit more witty than necessarily some of the things we've seen be made over the last 15 years. Has your theory got anything to do with the patriarchy? It's got I actually think the rom-com died around the time we 
got phones. Ah, I think phones. I I think romantic comedies are pinned on the journey of people falling in love and falling out of love and you need romantic stakes to go into a film and forget the ending. You know from the poster what's going to happen here. You know where we're going to end up. So how do you distract an audience? How do you take them on the journey and make it feel as present and as fresh even though you know the ending? And I think it comes down to romantic stakes and it's very very hard to have romantic stakes when you can text and email and cool at ease. You know, I always think about in Notting Hill as the example when Julia Roberts's character leaves Like, you really believe that Hugh Grant's character is never going to find her, you know? Like, I think there's that wonderful moment where Emma Chambers comes into the bookshop and is like, I have Anna Scott's agent's number assistant or something in London. And he's like, oh, okay, great. You know, like, you really believe that they might never see each other again. And that's a very hard thing to recreate in modern times there's no running through the airports anymore either the security issue would be a nightmare that's an extremely good point i feel like movies like before sunrise would have been impossible had they had mobile phones they would just had no romantic tension at all would have found each other on facebook <laughs> exactly before. within seconds yeah well listen i could talk to you about rom-coms all day but maybe that's another episode but in the meantime emma thank you so much for joining girls on film to talk about mr malcolm's list thank you no thank you very much You thought to humiliate Malcolm, and you end up presenting him with the perfect wife, and that must sting. Wish me luck, old boy. I don't think you'll make it. It is time to show Malcolm your list. I do not think Mr. Malcolm is the man you think he is. Seems you have been deceiving me from the beginning. Love cannot be planned so carefully. It will stir things up a bit. That is part of its charm. was director Emma Holly-Jones. Next, I talked to star Zawe Ashton. Zawe, welcome to Girls on Film. Thank you, Anna. I'm really excited to be here. Well, we're very pleased to have you on. We've wanted you on for a long time and congrats on Mr. Malcolm's list. Your performance is so thoroughly enjoyable. What appealed to you about the script and your character in particular? Uh, well, thank you for saying that. I don't think any of us are getting tired at the moment of people saying that they enjoyed the movie because it's a truly independent film and just to I don't know have an audience and word of mouth has been so useful for it so thank you for saying that um what drew me to the film well I feel really glad that the script came to me at the 11th hour um there were two other actresses slated to potentially play this role ahead of me one was uh, Gemma Chan she created the role of Julia in um sort of an 11 minute teaser I suppose a proof of concept film that Emma Holly Jones our director had been asked to provide as support for the script that she felt very passionate about and um that was ooh, about five years ago now and obviously filmmaking is a very intricate process and in the um, interim Constance Wu was an actress who uh, was then going to step into the role and had to pull out you know we were set to go in the middle of the second intense lockdown so the script came to me with about 24 hours on the clock to decide whether I could uh, jump in or not and in a way I love that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, any actor out there, you must never have ego about how a script comes to you. You must just honour the process of filmmaking, which is extremely hard. Uh, 
So I, I opened my heart, I think, even more to the script because I knew I didn't have much time. And the things that entered my heart instantly were this, you know, really fun intersection of rom-com and Regency romance. I've always had an intentionality uh, with regards to supporting first-time feature-making talent from underrepresented backgrounds. And so that was a huge red, red flag. That was a huge green flag yes. for the script, which is usually a red flag. And then Julia as a character, I just thought was so appealing in her unappealingness you know we find her at a really interesting point in her life when she's been out in society for four seasons without having found a match and society's expectations are starting to encroach on her and her mother's expectations are starting to encroach on her and I just thought this feels so thoroughly contemporary I just know that there's a really satisfying arc here and there was, and she's funny and brittle and complex and gets the guy because of her flaws rather than despite her flaws. And all of that just seemed to say, yes, you have to take this on. And I'd never done a period drama before. So this just felt like a, a fantastic introduction into the genre. I love what you say about, you know, the grey areas and her character. You know, she's not a villain. She makes mistakes. She learns from them. I think there's something very relatable about that. And I think you're right. That's ideal for a modern audience and something we don't see enough, especially in this, this genre. Julia Thistlewaite with Mr Malcolm, who would be the match of the season. Hasn't she been out in society for what, four seasons? It may be time to think about stepping aside and allowing the younger ladies have their chance. He gave up his seat for me once. I nearly swooned. I do wonder why they make so many foreign operas. We are in England, after all. Do you not agree, Mr. Malcolm? Are you not a fan of Rossini, Mr. Sword? Is he the short, stout man? No, no. He's the composer. Oh. How silly of me. You must think me quite ignorant. No, not at all. Perhaps you are better informed on other matters. Mm. Tell me, what opinion do you hold on the Corn Laws? The Corn Laws? Yes. Uh, let me think. <laughs> Why, I am for them, of course. Really? Hmm. And why is that, if I may ask? Well, I, I believe that um, restraint in one's diet is bound to have a helpful effect. I mean, you mentioned you haven't done a period drama before, but do you want to speak a little bit to what people call colourblind casting? How do you feel about that term? Yeah. It's a pity you're not able to speak on the parliamentary floor. You're... Views could change the face of politics. It's something that on this journey of press for the film has become more and more, um, the more I've been talking about it or we've been talking about it as a cast, the more questions you get asked about it um, kind of shapes your ideas and vocabulary around it as a concept because essentially... I've gone from being a young, imaginative reader who loved period 
classic books to being an actor who suddenly found that the imagination and scope of the visual um, interpretations of these books were not as big as my own imagination and that being sort of sad and confusing but also not not something you were necessarily hugely conscious of so it feels like in the reimagining of this genre in the rejuvenation actually I should say of this genre actually comes the realization of how long has passed before you've been invited to the table how many excuses there have been along the way excuses couched in historical accuracy that you realize a <laughs> Britain was extremely multicultural uh, certainly in the regency era but also every single period drama you've ever watched is completely <laughs> historically inaccurate in one way or another so I've sort of come into consciousness with it myself and um, there's also this thing that I've come to realize which is I don't actually want to talk about color blind or color conscious casting anymore it's just casting and why aren't we why aren't we just why aren't we realizing this you know it's 2022 no one should be getting any special rewards for doing their job properly which is to create art from the plethora of artists that you have at your disposal the end of the story for me is I feel so proud to have created this film that has protagonists and antagonists of colour. We are not um, orbiting a Caucasian lead. We are creating the emotional landscape of this movie. And that's really, I think, where the change is going to happen. It's not just about suddenly just putting people in movies it's about allowing them to carry the romance allowing them to carry the emotion allowing them to carry the villainy allowing them to carry the humor allowing them to carry the um boredom you know whatever it might be um it's about empathy at the end of the day it's about putting people in those roles who are representational who can carry the empathetic story of of the movie um, or the TV show. So yeah, lots to be joyful and light about because this is a light movie. But there's also a, a lot to, to talk about in terms of um, a movement becoming real progress. Personally, yeah, I think Sir Malcolm's List is progress and leading the way. And hopefully, as you say, the more films like this are made, the less it will be a conversation topic. It will just be the way things are. Yeah. That's what I, we're hoping I, for. I wouldn't just be interested in seeing the movies change. I also want to see the curriculum change. I also want to see um, advertising change. It all kind of affects each other. You know, I've been involved with a fantastic uh, initiative that Penguin Random House have set up called Lit in Colour, which is about trying to get more writers of colour onto the school curriculum um not because Jane Austen should be booted out or Shakespeare should be booted out or Dickens should be booted out but because that that table should just have more chairs pulled up to it very much it's all linked isn't it and I must say I'm in great admiration of a lot of the sort of activism that you do um can we if we circle back to the film um Mr Malcolm's List I love 
the female friendship in here and the female relationships and the fact that they're kind of really taking centre stage here. Absolutely. Actually, it was one of the things that really drew me into the script. And um, one of the things that Frida Pinto and I, who's also an exec producer, you know, badass on the movie, um, talked about a lot. It's something we invested in wholeheartedly every single scene that we were in together, you know, even changing maybe a small phrase here or there so that the complexity of the relationship could truly come through and the the ways that women um, <laughs> in long-term friendships actually behave. You know, we didn't want it to, to sort of be washed out in any way. And, um, and I'm really glad that's the third love story in this film because, I mean, it's sort of for me in my own life my female friendships are one of the biggest love stories that's so lovely do you want to talk to me about some of the other female roles in the film because there's actually some really great roles for women in general in this film there really are and you know there have been some great articles written recently about why the hell we're suddenly re-obsessing about the regency era when you know women were (laughs) in, in not brilliant positions of you know financial societal domestic power but it was such a fruitful time creatively I think for women you know you have this young up start called Mary Shelley writing something that's going to change the world called Frankenstein you know you have Jane Austen even though she's creating some of the most epic love stories of our times actually refusing to marry herself which is not something a lot of Jane Austen fans necessarily know you know um, she was way ahead of her time and so I feel like the Regency era is problematic in lots of ways for women but also there's this um this wonderful atmosphere of 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 change afoot at the time and I do think the female characters in this sort of represent that you've got Frida's character who's not wanting to settle for anything less than an intellectual match you know a love match uh even when presented with this person who could you know financially change her position in society you've got um Ashley Park who plays cousin Gertie so so brilliantly and it's a cameo but you feel like she's been there the whole film she was just such a powerful screen presence who is a woman who's sort of been down the aisle two or three times times and doesn't really seem to uh she doesn't seem to sort of worry about her uh, reputation in society she's still out there having a fantastic time trying to get husband number three or four um there's in julia i feel someone who absolutely wants to be on par with mr malcolm they actually have a lot of similarities she's not going to let him disgrace her just because he's a dude she absolutely is a self-possessed individual who um even though she goes about you know doing some quite questionable things isn't really doing anything more questionable than Mr Malcolm himself you know so is challenging the status quo in that way talk to me a little bit more about working with Emma because it seems like you had a good collaborative sort of atmosphere on set yeah Emma's you know a first-time feature director who reminds you that you do have to dig your heels in when you have a vision for a movie. This took her a very, very long time from concept to screen. And we can't forget that when we're watching, you know, a light rom-com that people are enjoying and and is being received well. Like, there's blood, sweat and tears underneath, <laughs> underneath the sort of the bonnets and the corsets, so to speak. Um, you know, she worked really, really hard and and in a very single-minded way to 
to bring this vision to life. And um, I think that sort of always reinvigorates you as an experienced actor, which is why I like working with first time directors in general. You know, they remind you of the stakes of what you're doing. They remind you to keep your passion alive because this is should be the first time you do it every time you know you can get sort of stayed sometimes after long periods of time in this industry and um it's it's just wonderful to have that that new creative blood sort of pumping and and makes you remember actually come on um every time is should be like the first time yeah and, and speaking to women like her it reminds me as a film critic is exactly what you said is how much work goes into films and we must give them great respect and always remember that when we yeah. speak about them and yeah. also there's a really sort of strange culture developing around filmmakers from underrepresented backgrounds finally taking center stage that is sort of about it being sort of easier now, you know, like, oh, well, of course your film got made, you're a woman, you know, there's so many, you know, that's all anyone wants now is to, like, hire women. It's just ridiculous. You know, it's like, come on, grow up. This is this is as complicated as it's always been for everyone. Just because the pendulum is swinging, we can't then start to create this... Um, you know, kind of negging culture about how it's sort of positive discrimination. You know, it's just, it's just rubbish. And um, everyone's out here trying to change the world with their movies. That never changes. There are easier things to do, really, with life. Very true. Um, before I let you go, is there anything else um, you want to say either about the film or about what we've just been speaking about? You know, where we're going in cinema in terms of women, you know, in front of and behind the camera. I just, you know, I I just feel really, really lucky to be on a podcast that is about honouring women in film. It's not something I grew up with and um, just being able to contribute and have a platform that is um, here to keep grinding the gears of change is... um, Wonderful. So ultimate respect. And I'm, I'm really, really glad that you like the film. Oh, thank you. Well, we have great respect for you. So it's a bit of a love in here. But <laughs> thank you. Um, you know, we are trying to do our bit here, as you say, to um, shout out to women in film and make sure everyone knows what we're up to. So thank you so much, Zoe, for joining Girls on Film. And do come back again sometime. I would absolutely love to. I actually also must say that I joined a, a film club in the lockdown. And um, we, as the five strong members um had to create a season each time we sort of you know we're kind of going around each person and um I'm the only woman in the group and I often refer to the film club as the sausage party and so when it came to creating my season I googled what's the opposite of sausage party and the most satisfying thing (laughs) ever came up on I think it was Urban Dictionary which is the opposite of Sausage Party is Clam Jam and so my season was called the Clam Jam and we dove deep into the the female lens in movies and um so my catchphrase now you know for anything like this where we're creating communities of female filmmakers and watchers and lovers is um join the Clam Jam I love it maybe we can do a Clam Jam Girls on Film mashup sometime and have a special episode I look forward to it so good to meet you again Thank you to my interviewees, director Emma Holly-Jones and actor Zawe Ashton. You can watch Mr Malcolm's List in UK cinemas from Friday the 26th of August 2022. 
Girls on Film is an HLA production, brought to you by executive producer Hedda Archbold, audio producer Benjamin Cook, intern Grace Dell, and our partners for this episode, Vertigo Releasing. I'm Anna Smith, and I was joined by Emma Holly-Jones and Sawe Ashton. Thanks so much for listening. Take care. revenge on Mr. Malcolm. I was so angry that one man could turn my entire life into a farce.